Welcome to the Wings Over New Zealand show with Dave Homewood. This episode of the Wings Over New Zealand show was brought to you by the team at Fly DC3. Fly DC3 in the stunning Warbirds Dakota, New Zealand's classic airliner. If you'd like to fly DC3, go to their website at www.flydc3.co.nz. Welcome to the Wings Over New Zealand show. I'm your host, Dave Homewood. Well, that was the sound that I heard on Thursday when we took off in the Fly DC-3 Warbirds Dakota from Hamilton, headed for Classic Fighters Air Show at Amaka. It was the beginning of an absolutely classic air show experience. The following interviews were recorded during the air show in the field. I hope you enjoy them. Okay, I'm standing here with Dave Johnson of uh, Wingnut Wings. Hi Dave. Hi Dave, how's things? Good, good, good. Hey, uh, once again you're back at the Classic Fighters um, Air Show. Yeah, it's, it's great to be back again. It's the third year we've been here and um, we enjoy coming here. Yeah, and I tell you what, uh, every time I've seen you here it's been packed in your tent. It's probably it is. The, the most packed tent at the Air Show every Yeah, time. it's always an onslaught. Um, modelers coming to see what we've got new, um, little information they can get out of us, what might be coming up or what's in the works, normal questions that we get. Yeah, absolutely. And, and what have you actually got new this year, sir? Um, this year we've got the Fokker D7F, uh, which is powered by the BMW engine. Yep. Um, currently this weekend it's available only here at Classic Fighters. Um, we plan to release this uh, kit later on the website, probably in the next few days once we hit back to Wellington. Okay, okay. And um, tell me about the uh, sort of overall impact that your company has had on the market. It's been um, amazing, isn't it? it has been amazing. It's um, being a model myself. It's it's really opened my eyes in the industry and, and seen what's going on and um, how things happen. Um, and the result that we've got across the world um, is just amazing. I receive emails on a daily basis saying from people who build armour and never touched an aircraft subject and saying, wow, the, these kits are absolutely fantastic. Um, I had to try one and I'm hooked. Um, and we get the guys who build World War II aircraft like myself who's jumped into another era and, and learning new things. Yeah, absolutely. And t tell me, what is the point of difference between your kits and everyone else's? Um, one is they're very high quality. Yep. Um, the idea behind them is they're easy enough for a child to put together, um, so we make sure that they're pretty simple. Yes, there's some kits in our range that are a little bit higher um, um, parts count and maybe a little bit more um, school required uh, yep. to assemble them, but um, something like the single seater, like the Saltwood Pup or the Albatrosses, um, even the Fokker D7s are really simple to put together and that's, that's the main idea behind the, the whole process. Right, and it's sort of also bringing a whole lot of uh, new types of aircraft that haven't really been modelled before. Yeah, definitely. Well, um, there's only been one kind of manufacturer doing 30 second scale aircraft, which was Rodin. Yes. Um, and 
we sort of come onto the market and we're sort of trying to fill all the gaps that other manufacturers haven't touched, um, like mainly two-seaters and, and uh, stuff like that. Yep, yep. So um, yeah, we hope to surprise everyone a little bit more with some more some uh, releases that we've got up our sleeve. Oh, excellent, excellent. I love the little details you put into it too. I remember at the last year show you pointed out there was a little, the little teddy, teddy bear. bear. Yep. Yes, the German teddy bear. Yep, um, we like adding little things into that well, to, very good morning, just everybody. to give people the opportunity to make dioramas and stuff like that. So yeah. yeah. Beautiful Oh, thank you very much, Dave. No worries. Good to see you again. And you. Well, I've just been introduced to Colin Owens, who I'm told is a World War One historian. Hi, Colin. Hi, how are you, Dave? Good, good. Um, is this your first classic for Oh, well, no. We've been here since uh, number two, and I think I've missed only two. Oh, right, okay. Then. Yeah. yeah, old hand then. <laughs> yes, it's, uh, it's the best show of its kind in the world. Definitely. Yeah, well, I mean, it must be good for you to have a, uh, a look at all these things flying, all these World War One types. Well, look, you never see anything like this anywhere else. I mean, uh, where can you see six or seven pocket triplanes in here at one? Only here. I oh, know, as we speak, they're going overhead. It's exactly, yeah. exactly right. Absolutely amazing. Yep, uh, I was right, seven. <laughs> so, um, where, have you, where have you come from? At the moment, yeah, I, I'm living in Canberra. Oh, yeah, right, right, right. And um, how far back does your interest in World War One go? How long? Since I was 18, basically. Yeah. I can remember I got introduced to um, to the society as it then was in Australia, the Australian Society of World War One era historians. And, oh, yes. uh, yeah, no, I've been interested in aircraft ever since I can remember, but I really got interested in World War One when the society started, and um, since then I just got more and more interested. Right, right. So it must be, uh, um, you know, after all those years that you've been interested, to come here and actually see these things in action, um, it must be just amazing, really. Well, it is amazing, um, because the fidelity of the aircraft as well, they're not just made up to look like them, they try to get them as accurately as possible and use the correct engines so you actually can see them flying as they would have flown, not as Hollywood depicts them. Exactly, exactly. And are you a modeler as well? We're standing outside the Wingnut Wings tent. So. <laughs> no, I, I used to be, uh, but I, I'd have to relearn everything <laughs> again. Right, right. They are remarkable models though, aren't they? Yes, uh, I'm glad they've been able to help them with some of their research. and. Um, so I'll keep, uh, keep my hand in that way until least feel I'm doing something. Oh, great, great. Well, thank you very much, Colin, and have a, have a good issue. Same to you, Dave. Cheers. Um, we're talking with Tony Weitenberg uh, of uh, Classic Aero Engines and Aircraft Parts of Omarka. Uh, hi, Tony. G'day, how are you going? Good, good. Um, you've uh, caused a bit of a sensation here with your new engine, uh, the Gnome engine. Uh, well, I wouldn't say sensation, but um, yeah, it's attracting a bit of attention. It certainly is. I, I noticed uh, all day yesterday there was a lot of people stopping and asking questions. So. There's a lot of people asking questions. I think having uh, a rotary engine that you can actually touch and see is, is bringing people to, you know, they, they don't know how it works, so they, they have to ask the question. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. So tell me, how, how did you come to the idea of making your own uh, from scratch? Um, it's something I've wanted to do for a long time, and it was a matter of being able to borrow a suitable um, subject, yep. um, and also the right subject, because the GNOME engine is, uh, of all the rotaries is, is the simplest one to build. Okay. So starting down the path of making engines, you start with a simple one and then you work your way up to other things later on, maybe. Maybe, <laughs> right, right. Okay, and the, um, tell me a little bit of history of the, the original gnomes. Um, where, where did they date back to? And 
1914, I believe, or the, the, the gnomes actually started back earlier than that again, but um, the, the um, nine-cylinder 100 horsepower one that we have is 1914. Right, so um, it was made in England. Um, it's obviously French designed. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's originally, when, when they first came out, no rotary engines were state-of-the-art. Yeah. Um, they were very closely machined. So from a machinist's point of view, it's a, a good thing to be doing. Yep. Um, um, yes, yeah, so, so, and, and and they were expensive at the time. So I mean, you, because because the machining tolerances were on the on the limit of what they could do at the time. Right. right. It, it made them very expensive, but because the the horsepower they produced or the torque, they were very popular. You know, power to weight ratio was very very good. Right, right. And what were they powering back then uh, during World War One? They were... Uh, well, the Avro 504Ks was a fairly popular build for them. Um, yeah. They put them in the DH2 as yeah. a pusher, um, and anything else. And and the Germans fitted them to the triplanes if they could get their hands on one. So okay. okay. Any any Allied engine that was a, a runner was fitted to a German plane because they tended to be a bit more reliable. Okay, okay. And um, when you say reliable, how long would an engine have been expected to last back then? Well, uh, that I don't know, but I mean, I, I, the book says they, they have to be um, um, stripped and cleaned at 50 hours because the um, castor oil gums them up, they get sticky. Um, but many of them didn't last that long. Right, right. Okay, and so setting out on the path of actually creating this one that you've got now, how did you how did you go about that? You obviously had to start with an original engine. To we started with the original engine and we've pulled it apart. And what we've said to our clients, we're going to build these engines, but we're going to make some subtle changes. So they're replicas, but they're not exact replicas. Right. They have um, modern sized bearings. And they don't vary that much, but there's enough to make a difference to the engine. Um, we haven't decided on magnetos yet. Um, it, we'd probably put a modern magneto in, just as, as much a safety thing as, as anything else. Um, and we're going to fit um, aluminium pistons. Okay, okay, yeah. Um, which we are not going to make. We're going to, we've got, we've got someone in the US who's going to make them for our engine. Right, right. Okay. Um, it's just the costs and also um, safety, really. You know. Right, and and I guess uh, also down the track when they need to replace parts, it's going to be easier too. That is the other thing is that you not have. Having to, going to have to spend a lot of money on, on buying buying parts. If if you need, you can buy a set of pistons. Yeah. Um, yeah. I suppose engines back then wouldn't have lasted that long. They they would have just taken the, the pistons and sleeves off, the cylinders off, and just replaced them. But right. um, yeah, you hear mixed stories about how long they lasted. But yeah, yeah they were, they did tend to um, seize the top ring on the piston would come off. Yeah. So um, there is there is a, a few maintenance issues. Well, not maintenance. Just yeah, design issues, I suppose, would be the, the thing. Okay, I guess some um, 50 hours of flying would be uh, a long time in real time these days with with warbirds, wouldn't it? I would think so. Yeah, I mean, if you, if if you fly for the fly during the the summer or when the winds are, you can fly, and um, you know, an hour an hour's flight today is probably a fairly fairly good flight in yeah. one of these aeroplanes. It's going to last a long time. Yeah, so. yeah, exactly. Um, but we're also going to once we have it on the test bed, we'll look at some of the oil options. Okay. Um, so that we can recommend to people what they what they can run, um, yep. because castor oil is very expensive. Right. Um, it's a good oil, but it, um, and, and everyone loves the smell of the castor oil burning. But I mean, at the end of the day, if you're just doing a couple of circuits, you might want to just run a standard oil. 
and we'll, we'll experiment a lot. Once, once we've got the couple of engines under our belt, we'll start experimenting with some oil options and see if it makes any difference. Okay, okay. Yeah. And this is a bit of a diversion for your company. You're not normally making engines from scratch, are you? No, we make aircraft parts and, and do general machining. So it's sort of, it's, it's, it's an extension of what we're doing now, but yeah. it's just, it's a further add-on really. It's another little niche to our feather in our hat, if you like to right, say. Right. Yeah. And, and the long-term goal is to actually sort of set up a production line of these uh, engines and... We'll see how that goes. I mean, I suppose long-term it would be nice to be just... Um, it would be nice not to have the door open for, for general work and just be making engines and yeah. parts you like, but the market dictates what we're going to do. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, so, I mean, once... Assuming we're successful with this engine, we will we'll, we'll continue taking orders for that engine and then we might look at some one of the others. I mean, the Lerone... Everyone wants the Lerones. Yeah. Um, I've had inquiries for um, cylinders for Lerones, and, and we will probably start down that path, um, maybe six months a year away. Right. right. Um, so that's 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 exciting for us. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. It's yeah. Good. I mean, as soon as I saw the photographs of it come up on Facebook, I was just like, "Whoa, I've got to talk to this guy." Yeah. Oh, that's good. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so. How do people get hold of you if they want to uh, find out more about this and, and order an engine? Um, through my website, www.cams.net.nz. Um, all the information's there. We're doing um, updates on, on the, the, the special projects and the gnome engines up there. Um, and I've got someone coming in who takes away our photos and writes the story right. and, and, and gets it up on the website because it's not one of my one of my things <laughs> so, and not only that if, we ha if I have someone coming and doing it once a month then I know it's going to be updated regularly you yes. know because I know I've seen other websites where people are running their running thing and, and you see the last time it was updated was like two years ago yeah so we're going to be keeping regular updates on the website so people will be able to actually see progress on it great great and um, when do you kind of expect to see this one actually running this will be running before the end of the year Excellent, excellent. So if people follow the website, they'll, they'll know, they'll, exactly, they'll know exactly what's going to happen. Yep, yep, yep. Well, they may not know exactly when it's going to start, but um, yeah. They'll know when it has started. They'll know when it has started, yeah. <laughs> we'll be posting stuff pretty, pretty soon after that. Great, great. Well, thank you very much, Tony. Thank you. Right, I'm sitting in the uh, Fly DC3 tent with Jessica Cooper. Hi, Jess. Hi, how are you, Dave? Good, good. And uh, of course, I flew down on the Dakota the DC3 um, with you uh, on Thursday, and what a magnificent flight that was! Really, really smooth and great service. Wonderful people, um, you know, good crowd and everything. Um, how's your air show going so far? It's actually really successful. We're really enjoying it. We love the atmosphere here at uh, Omaka, and. It's one of the most friendlier of the air shows uh, in New Zealand and we just absolutely love it here. We feel so welcome and people really look after us. And all the people that come to the air shows, whether they're the locals or the New Zealanders or even Australia and Canadians, this is so friendly and yeah. they just love to love to meet up with us. Absolutely, it's a great environment, isn't it? It's fabulous. Yeah. And uh, I've noticed that you've been uh, taking loads of bookings for flights. Even this morning, you, um, you've had a lot of inquiries and it's not even 9 o'clock yet, so mm. it's um, good to see, isn't it? Well, if you go to any fairground or uh, something like that, people want rides, they want things to do, yep. and we provide that at a place like this. And this is something that everyone from the young ones right through to the oldies and the people who can't get into roller coasters or things like that, uh, they can enjoy this and they just love going for a flight on a classic aircraft with a professional crew. 
right, right. And it's um, such a, a great aircraft to go on. As you say, it's a classic aircraft, but it's very comfortable. Um, very, very good crew, as you say. They're, they're all airline uh, staff, aren't they? Yes. Cur current airline staff. Yep. All the cabin crew are current or former uh, cabin crew with uh, international aircraft. Yeah. Um, and all the pilots are either uh, current or former commercial pilots, captains or first officers. Yeah. And we've also got engineers, uh, air traffic controllers, um, and people who establish themselves at high levels of uh, safety and, and flying. So, you know, we're proud of the standard of how we operate. Absolutely, and of course outside of airshow environment you're um, an airline as well aren't you? And, Absolutely, and we hold an, uh, an air operating certificate and we have it displayed here at our tent just for people to know that uh, we are a proper true airline. Yes, mm. yes. so uh, tell us about uh, what sort of things people can do with you outside of the airshow environment. How can they travel with you, that sort of thing? Well, on Sundays, most Sundays, weather permitting, technical permitting or passenger numbers permitting, we do fabulous scenic flights over Auckland. Yes. So it meets the needs of people who would love to see Auckland from the air. And it's a stunning city. It really is beautiful. I've travelled the world and Auckland is one of the most beautiful. So people get on this fantastic classic aircraft, then they take off and, and fly through the most beautiful valleys and then end up through the Hauraki Gulf and the Waitamata Harbour and it's just lovely. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And of course they can charter, uh, charter the DC-3 to go on longer uh, excursions, can't they? Absolutely, and we're lucky here um, up in Auckland because we can do short charters, say over to Wittianga, it's just 20-25 minutes. Yep. Uh, you get over there, there's a fantastic beach, there's fantastic cafes over there, and it's just such a, so affordable to go there. Or we can go a little bit further down to Tauranga, um, go down to Classic Flyers, there's a cafe there and a beautiful, fantastic museum. And also all through the Waikato, uh, Hamilton, there's so many things to do in the Waikato. And I think Aucklanders forget what there is to do in the Waikato. Yeah, true. Um, there's Napier. And so within two hours of Auckland, there's a myriad of places that we can go to. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. The, the DC-3 is such an iconic uh, aircraft on the um, airshow circuit. And, and as you say, as an airliner, uh, how hard is it to keep one flying in today's sort of modern environment with all the regulations and all that? Is, mm. it, is it difficult? It's not hard if you put the effort in. Yeah. If you do not want to put the effort in, if you don't have high standards, then you will fail. As far as getting parts and things like that go, it's actually quite easy to get them because there's a lot of DC-3s in the world which are now static, so we can get parts off them or they can actually be manufactured. So from the engineering side, easy to get parts. Yeah but it's expensive, it's very, very expensive to keep the aircraft maintained. So we need to get a quarter of a million a year, yep. and we have to make that money just for the maintenance and operation side of things. And that's why we need our passengers to help us fly. You know, not flying the DC-3 is not going to change the world, but it just meets the needs of so many people. And for the sake of not flying, for the sake of the dollars, uh, so many people wouldn't have the experience of, like you say, that iconic, classic experience. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and, you know, coming down here, I was amazed at the level of service. The, as soon as I stepped on the plane, I was handed a glass of champagne and, you know, you get lunch and stuff. You don't get that on Air New Zealand or, or Jetstar or that sort of thing, <laughs> do you? So. No, we, we try to be sort of 
business class if we can and of course we've got the love from the cabin service point of view we've got the lovely china and we've got the lovely crystal and things like that but when you and and we do that but when you come away to air shows we don't bring all that sort of stuff to the air show so we have to go back to our plastic stuff but it is it's it you we want our passengers to feel this is the time that i can enjoy business class and we love to do it um on, on the aircraft and i guess it's the same as with you were saying before about compliance yes the complying with all the rules and regulations yes we 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 work hard into the wee small hours ensuring that you know all the rules and regs and policies everything from health and safety to the engineering to everything has to be spot on and so as far as the cabin service goes we like to do that too right 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 have you found that there's uh, more people using the the dc3 now that the catalina's not flying that's an interesting question uh, I think I think we have brought more people away to air shows, but that's interesting. The Catalina has a different sort of a group of people. Yeah, um, yeah I think it's it's hard to keep on top of uh, the number of passengers. I mean, we'd like to have more, of course, yeah. but it, there is a recession and people are finding it harder to afford to to do something. But there is money out there, Dave, yeah. and yeah. and if we can just you know, um, market ourselves to people, they may not be able to take the family or the business off to Fiji or Brisbane, but they certainly can come down to Tauranga with us or that sort of thing. So I think we can fill a need for people. But yeah, the Catalina. We miss the Catalina? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Mm. yeah well, uh, I mean, um, I, I can't recommend flying with uh, Fly DC3 more because it's just a wonderful experience and wonderful people. and. Thank you, Dave. Uh, yeah, it, re- it really is. Uh, and, you know, just looking here this morning, there was about, I don't know, eight of you guys that were putting everything together, and it so- shows the enthusiasm. So many people come down here. A well-oiled machine. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's a privilege, Dave, to actually go away to an air show. And when people get chosen or asked, or people ask themselves, can I please go to this particular air show, they know they're going to work hard. There's no time to sit down. And, uh, yeah, we all have earned our stripes. Yes. And we work really hard, so it's a privilege to go away. And yes, we do work hard, and you know we put everything together in the, the little pop-up city tent here. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, thank you very much, Jessica. It's been really good to um, sit here and chat with you. But you better get back to it now. I think there's a few well, people. Well, it's a privilege, um, Dave, to talk with you, and um, and an honour actually to to be involved in your little aviation world as well. And you're very, very well respected uh, amongst the DC3 crew. Well, thank you very much. Okay. Cheers. Thank you. I'm talking with Fred Bain of the New Zealand Catalina Preservation Society. Hi Fred. Hi, good morning. Um, can you tell us uh, what state the uh, Catalina is at at this stage and, and you're trying to raise a bit of money here to yes, get it back in the we're air. certainly trying to raise a bit of money here. The Catalina is in New Plymouth for maintenance which is going to take about another year. Yep. Uh, but it's, it's, it's not damaged, it's uh, not broken, it's simply ongoing maintenance on an ageing aircraft. Right, right. Uh, we are reskinning uh, corroded lower wing skins. Okay. Uh, the material cost of the skins is minimal. Yep. However, there's about 6,000 man hours of drilling and replacing rivets. Wow. And to put it that way, that's one man full time for three years. Wow. Or as somebody else said, 6,000 men for one hour. But uh, <laughs> while the Catalina is a big aeroplane, you won't fit 6,000 men around it. No, no. But it's simply ongoing maintenance. About eight years ago, we spent $70,000 rebuilding the tail. Yep. 
Uh, in the last two years, each year we've spent thirty-five to forty thousand dollars removing corrosion in the hull. Yes. Yep. Uh, the year before that, we replaced all the hydraulic lines. The year before that, we replaced all the fuel lines. Right. Both engines are lower than four hundred hours. Oh, okay. Uh, so it's simply ongoing maintenance with an aircraft that's 70 years old next year. Right, right, okay, and this is just sort of a longer maintenance than the usual... Well, it's a big wing. Yeah, yeah. The, the, the surface area of the wing is 1,400 square feet, which was bigger than the average house a few years ago. Yeah, true. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, and so you think it's going to be about a year or so? About a year, yeah. And then uh, well, we'll see it back in the next place of the, the commercial rates cost 6,000 um, man hours at $100 an hour, that's $600,000. Yes, yes. Uh, we're not doing it that way quite. We have one of our guys who has sold his business and uh, semi retired, so he's going to project manage it. Right. We are employing an engineer who is licensed to supervise and sign it out. Yep. And we are employing uh, volunteers and professionals as and when required. Yep. And we estimate it's going to cost us about 200000 Okay. At, the, at this stage, we have 90% of the money sitting waiting ready to go. Oh, right. So you've raised that much already? Yeah. Uh, we, we, the guy that's um, project managing it wants to see the money before he starts. He doesn't want to get halfway through and have it grind to a halt. Yep. Uh, so we, we are very close to kicking it into gear and with all the money in hand ready to go. Fantastic. Well, I wish you all the luck. Thank you. Thank you. We need it because it's a big job. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> Good luck. Cheers. Thank you. Okay, uh, I'm here at the Planes, Trains and Autos uh, UK Airshow Tour Tent with Mel Salisbury. Hi. Good morning. Now, can you tell me about this tour that you run every year? Yeah, um, we... Uh, basically, I'm a travel broker, and our company in 2009 were launching a new website. Yeah. And they asked us to come up with some innovative ideas, different to other agencies, that we could use on the new website. Um, had a chat with Kev about it, my hubby. Yeah. Um, and he came up with the idea and said, let's put an air show tour together and take people back to the UK, uh, to the areas that we know really well and right. great little places. Yeah. And yeah bring in a couple of big air shows and um, so that's how the tour started. Okay. So we launched that in 2009 for the 2010 tour. Yes. It was fantastic. We loved every minute of it and so did our guests. So um, yeah, we've done that for the last three years. Excellent. And you're doing one this year? Yeah, we've got two planned for this okay. year. One is the existing tour that we've done for the last three years and a new tour to enable past guests to come back with us again. So, oh, that's a good yeah, idea. we had people really keen to, to do more, so we had to bring in a new tour that's great. for them. Yeah. And whereabouts is the tour going to? Um, the first tour goes round um, basically down the south from Cambridge. Yeah. And the new tour goes north into Lincolnshire. Oh, right. Okay. So they're quite different yep. in their itineraries. Both of them planes, trains and autos, yes, obviously. Yes, yep. So the new tour is called Bomber County. Oh, great. great. And, um, yeah, it takes in some fantastic places. Okay. Can you run through the uh, itineraries here? We're, well, we're starting off at Cosford at the RAF Museum there. Yep. On to the Shuttleworth. Uh, taking in the air display oh, on that day, fantastic, yep. The Yorkshire Air Museum, so we stay in York for a few days. 
um, the National Railway Museum's there and yes. the hotel we stay in backs directly onto the station oh. and then the museum's just behind that so Fantastic. really close to that. Scampton, we've got a, a tour of Scampton. Oh, right, that's uh, famous as the Dam Busters yeah. place. Yeah, yeah, excellent, that will be. And then we're going to stay at the um, Petwood Hotel, right. also right. known as 617 Squadron Officers Mess. Yes, yes. We'll be visiting uh, Lynx Aviation Heritage Centre. Yeah. We've got four people booked to do the Lancaster taxi ride. Oh, nice. So that's going to be an experience of a lifetime for them. Uh, and we're also able to take guests on, so for each passenger riding we can take a guest right, um, right. who gets up close but not actually doing the taxi ride yes, yes. so that's pretty good um, Battle of Britain um, visitor center the oh, memorial yeah. flight visitor center that'll be good too yeah right? yeah we get in the hangar and have a look at where they're based hopefully the aircraft will be in yep. on yep. that day Duxford air show we have the gold passed for the air show there and then we're based around Cambridge for a few days. We go back to the Imperial War Museum for a full day, for those that want to. The fact that um, both Kev and myself escort the tour means that we look after the ladies as well. We usually get half couples and half gents yes. on their own. Yes, so it's yeah. a good combination. Um, but I can go off with the ladies. If they don't want to go back to the museum, we right. can go off to town or go shopping or right, right. to the village and yeah, all sorts. So we look after everybody. Yeah. Um, but you do need a, a whole extra day to look at the Imperial War Museum because when it's air show day, you just want to look at the air look show at the air, and air show, see yeah. the flying. So, so that's the um, museum at Duxford, not, yeah. not the one in London. Yeah, yeah, yeah at Duxford. Yeah. Um, we're also visiting Bletchley Park. Oh, right. Okay. Yeah, real interesting there. Yeah. Birthplace of the computer and all of the code-breaking activities yeah, the based there, so that'll be really cool. Yeah. yeah, we've got a day at leisure in Windsor and the hotel we're staying in overlooks the castle so that'll be quite nice great um, and then um, another huge event in this itinerary is Goodwood Revival oh, right, right. which is vintage um, motorsport and aviation usually yep. the the BBM fly over there as well that's like the biggest fancy dress party ever 40s 50s and 60s and the whole atmosphere of the place is amazing so Fantastic. yeah uh, that's a, a huge event and um, and then we just finish up with a day at Hampton Court Palace on the way through to Heathrow. Great okay well that sounds so, like a really good yeah activity, it, it? yeah it's going to be fantastic. Yeah. And um, so people can book on either tour? Yes yes, yes. so the, the Cambridge tour um, well the sort of the south tour, These, that, yep. that, where, where does that go to? On that tour um, we start off at Bucklers Hard, which is um, an 18th century boat building village, a yep. beautiful setting to arrive into the UK. We go on to Yeovilton, the Fleet Air Arm Museum. Yes. We have a day at leisure in Bath. Um, and then we're into Cambridge again for Flying Legends right. and the day at the um, Imperial War Museum. We, after that, um, we move on to Hendon, to the RAF Museum. And then Rye, and Rye is a beautiful little medieval uh, town. It's one of the sank port, um, you know, the fortified ports around that area. Yeah. Stop the French coming over, I yeah, think. Yeah. <laughs> um, really interesting in itself, yep. but right next to that is the Romney Hythe and Dimchurch third scale railway. So we go for a little poodle up on the railway, oh, right. which is quite good. Um, we also have a ride on Bluebell Railway. Oh, nice. Which is, yeah, really a lovely, leisurely. Um, ride up and, and back. That's a very famous one. It's been in a lot of TV yes. programs and that sort they of thing. They have, yeah, and they've just, I think, connected the cut through to um, 
the next step before connecting it onto the main line. Okay, that's yep. what they're doing. Um, and then we're on to Tangmere. We have a day at leisure in Brighton, which is just an interesting town. From there, actually, a lot of the guys go down to Bovington Tank Museum. Oh, right, yes. Yeah. Um, we had five chaps go last year, and they said that was fantastic. Yeah. And that's just a train ride away on the day at leisure. Okay. So it's an optional. Tangmere and Arundel, we pop into Arundel Castle um, as well. Yeah. And Portsmouth Navy Dockyard. So we get on um, Victory and Warrior, and they've just opened up the Mary Rose Museum. Oh, nice. So for the last three years we've been going, it's been being constructed, so yep. we've seen it grow, and that'll be open this year, so we'll actually get in to see the Mary Rose. Um, and finishing up at Brooklands, uh, which is a bit of everything at Brooklands, yes. motoring and aviation, and right next door to that's the Mercedes Museum as well, so um, yeah, well worth a visit. Well, that's fantastic. Have you had a lot of um, uh, interest here at the air show? Yeah, it's been great. I mean, the weather has been fantastic. Yeah. Friday was quite good. The Twilight Show on Friday, I think they really underplayed. Um, so a lot of people left at the end of flying. Yeah. yeah. And then there was so much more. Yeah, there was. Um, and I wish people had stayed on for yeah. that. Yeah. Um, they had the little concert with the lady and, and the band playing. Uh, Sarah Brown, it was. And then the fireworks were fantastic we were just we sat here totally enthralled and you know i hope they make more of that next year because people should stay for that yes absolutely um, but yesterday was yeah humming and people yeah all sorts of people coming lots of australians yep, coming yep. and talking about how they can join the tour okay which is easy because they can just fly on a one-way leg from australia to join us in auckland okay yeah then they can join the tour and fly straight back to australia then at the end of the tour right, so we've got right. a flexible airfare or we can tailor theirs they can do a land only and do their own flights or I can fly them from Australia to meet us at the first hotel and back so there are lots right. of ways they right. can do that but yeah I think we'll we've had Australians with us before and I think you know it's easy for them to join us so oh, that's quite good that's good um, yeah so how many places have you got left on the tours um, um, yeah, plenty at the moment, but we've had huge interest from here, so I'm hoping when we go back over the next couple of weeks we'll get a lot of people come in and, on that one. Right. The Bomber County Tour's guaranteed to go, um, and still space on the South Tour, so yeah, at the moment space, but I suspect the interest generated from here will fill them. So. Okay, and just again for the listeners, uh, give, give the dates of these tours so that they can start to think about planning. Okay, so the, the South Tour departs on the 6th of July, and that's an 18-day tour. Um, pretty much all-inclusive, except for lunches and a few dinners, um, and that tour is 8595. There is a single supplement, or we can uh, match people up to share to save the single supplement. Right. And Bomber County departs on the 29th of August, and that's a 20-day tour. That's just that there's so much that we could bring into the tour and we didn't want to lose anything, so it's just a couple of days longer. Um, and obviously the cost is a little more on that one. That's 9150, 9150. So that's everything included? Isn't yeah, it? yeah, again, yeah. only lunches and some of the dinners are not included. So apart from a bit of spending money, and it just depends how much of a shopper people are <laughs> as to what they need for spending, but yeah, you shouldn't need much on top. At the end of the tour, as I said earlier, our airfare is flexible, 
So if people want to stay on in the UK or do other European arrangements or whatever, then we just change their return flight to suit them. Right. So we all travel over as a group and then at the end people can go off and do their own thing. Excellent. And usually a smaller group come back and um, yeah, people stay on and do their own thing. Great. So, Great. Yeah, it's good. Uh, from the tours that you've done in the past, what, what's your personal favourite uh, place that you've visited? It's really hard to say actually. On the um, first tour, which we call the South, yeah. uh, Flying Legends is obviously an amazing air show and that's yeah. Kev's favourite and, yeah. and our guests are usually completely blown away um, by the atmosphere at that air show and you can get you know 10 to 15 Spitfires up there at some times and people stand there and they're moved to tears yeah. so that's always a huge moment there. I like Tangmere okay. um, and it's a much smaller museum with you know less aircraft in there but the memorabilia in there it's so personal yeah and yeah, oh, right. yeah you can spend hours reading you know personal accounts and family accounts and things that have happened and um they dug up um one of the aircraft locally yes um yeah. and the guy was still in it and all the stuff belonging to that story is there and right, right. honestly yeah just uh, that moves you to tears as well but that's one of my favourites, I think, because it's, it's um, intimate yes. and personal. Yeah. And so I love Tangmere. Okay. Yeah. So um, how, do, how do people get in touch with you to, um, to book or, or talk well, further? Well, probably the best thing they can do is to go to the website, okay. which is www.aviationtoursnz.com. Yep, sure. Um, or look up Frontier Travel. Um, and find me on there right. um, or give me a ring. Uh, I'm a broker so I'm at home, you can ring any time and it's 07 578 Excellent, excellent. Oh, thank you very much Mel, it's okay. uh, been a pleasure to talk to you again. Yeah, and, thank uh, you. Good luck with the tours. Yeah, thank you very much. Okay. Yeah, it's all going well. Cheers. Well, I'm standing with uh, Jerry and Jan Chisholm in front of their lovely DH-60 Moth. Hi guys. Hi Dave. Hello. Um, can you tell me a little bit of the history of this uh, aircraft? It's, I know it's very historic uh, and it belonged to your father, didn't it, Jan? Yeah, and um, he went to England in the early 30s and to get in the RAF and, and um, <clears throat> in 1934 he decided to come home. So um, he used to get flying magazines from England and they used to take an awful long time to get to New Zealand because of course they came by ship and um, he'd obviously spent a bit of time thinking, gosh, wouldn't it be great if mail could come by air? Right. So, um, <clears throat> I don't know, he got this fangled idea about um, buying a moth and, and flying out, and, and that's just what he did, really. Okay, okay. Well, it must have been a hell of an adventure. I suspect it was, yeah. I think he had a few close calls, but um, he said the big old prop that he had on it saved him from a few, um, from a few scrapes. So how long did it take him to get it to New Zealand? Um, six weeks from London to Sydney um, and 157 odd hours. Um, but he was held up first by weather in Paris. Yep. They took his logbooks away and then he was holed up for 10 days in Indonesia, I think, with um, recovering from malaria. Oh, wow. Okay. And he said he wasn't in a hurry anyway, so... Yep. Um, <clears throat> um, and, and then shipped it across the Tasman. Those two little yeah. islands were like dots in the ocean to find. <laughs> yeah, so. true. Yeah, so, um, 
what year was it that he actually flew it out here? 1934. 34, okay. Yep. And, and then subsequently he obviously held on to it and kept flying? Yep, until war broke out. Uh, so that was, what, 39? And um, <clears throat> he and all the other lads from the Aero Club just joined up pretty much on day one. Yeah, yeah. And, um, and, and the government impressed the aeroplane, but... Um, right. Oh, so this one actually saw RNJF service? Didn't actually, because it was just that different from the Tigers, and the Tigers were created for the job for very obvious reasons. Yeah. Um, you know, when you get, <laughs> get to get in the front cockpit of this, you see exactly why that top wing came forward. It's um, a bit of a bit of a bear to get in the front cockpit. Right, oh, right. The back isn't that easy either. <laughs> okay. But it's fun when you get there. Yep. And anyway, so it was, and it's quite stable too. It's, a, it's fair to say it's more stable, Jerry, than the Tiger, isn't it? So in that respect, it wasn't such a great trainer. So um, thankfully it was never used as for training and it was private hack for a number of people. Okay, so at the end of the war, did it come back to your father straight no, away? Or? No, not a bit. Never what, did. Oh, okay. Okay, so what, what happened then? <clears throat> well, um, Union Airways um, had it as a hack for some of their pilots as a <clears throat> plaything and went through various private owners and joined the other gypsy AEJ up at Poirot. Yes. There's yep. a group of owners up there and they seem to be pretty um, generous with who they allowed to fly it because we've had people come out of the woodwork since we've had her oh, right. and said, oh, my mum used to fly that up in Wairau and I, you know, I used to fly that up in Wairau. They weren't actually part owners of it, but, you know, the, the owners were generous. Okay. And then, must have been in, what, the 60s, Lee Middleton procured it okay. and it was a pretty oil-soaked old... Um, <clears throat> oh, well, I wouldn't say a wreck at all, but um, beastie by then, and yeah. he just he started to complete, oh, completely restored the aeroplane. Right. He wasn't allowed to to begin with from CAA because he wasn't an engineer, but okay. he was a pretty handy chap, and eventually he obviously wore them down and got on and did it anyway. So you'd never do that now, would you? <laughs> <laughs> well, you'd have to be experimental now. Yeah, yeah. Mm. Oh, that's true. Yeah, I suppose. Okay. And then did, did it come to you from him? Or? Uh, yes, it did, but yeah. <clears throat> it took a while. It took a while. Um, we've known Lee for a long time, and um, yeah, we've always kept in contact with him. And, and <clears throat> three years ago, um, some Aero Club members at home organised a, a reenactment of the homecoming, 75 years since, since um, she first came home. Oh, right. So um, we were lucky enough then to be able to, um, well Lee was in, in the front but he, he allowed me to fly her down for that right. and we had a, a great time with Jerry and a tiger and several other tigers around and the Dominie behind us, you know, coming into Bridge Power, um, trying to emulate the sort of time that Dad and the aeroplane first came in all those years before. Right, right. So, um, <clears throat> But then we, you know, just kept in contact with Lee, and then finally the time came when he was—I um, wouldn't say happy to let her go at all, would you, Jerry? No, he was quite unhappy. <laughs> right. I believe uh, it had been so much a part of his life for 40 years. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that uh, I believe he, uh, uh, his arthritis got him to the stage where he found had big trouble getting in and out of it. Right. You right. need to be a little bit gymnastic. 
and he was he was visibly upset when he finally did uh, uh, turn over the ownership of it to us. But uh, he knew it was going to the right place. Absolutely. Well, I mean, isn't it amazing? All those years later, it comes back to the same yeah. family. It, it must be quite a uh, thrill to be able to fly the aircraft. Oh, absolutely. I, I still get sort of goosebumpy and getting a bit emotional now, actually. <laughs> <laughs> it's sort of so unreal, really. So what, what did your father do in the Air Force? Um, was he instructing? Or? Um, he was, because he was quite an experienced pilot when yeah. war broke out, and he was an old, what, 27-year-old. Right. Um, so they turned him into an instructor fairly early on because, you know, that wasn't the choice of his choice, yeah. but, you yeah. know, they wanted to get out there. <laughs> That's what happened to most of the Aero Club uh, pilots at the beginning of the war, wasn't it? They all became the instructors. I'm not too sure, really, but I guess so. Um, yeah. It made sense, really. Anyone yeah. who had a bit of time behind them, they moulded them the way they wanted them. Yes, yes. Um, he was, he, he went to Australia near the end of the war and did a conversion onto Catalina and Oxfords and things like that, and then he was, they sent him up to Lothala Bay by the time he got there, that um, war broke out, I told him that they should have sent him up there earlier. It might have stopped the war earlier. <laughs> you mean peace broke out? Peace broke out. Oh, did I say war yeah, broke out? Yeah. Oh, I beg your pardon, yeah, war stopped. All <laughs> oh, right. Um, and so now you're obviously taking it around different air shows and getting it out and about. Um, and it was good to see it flying yesterday as well. Really neat to see that up there getting out to, and showing it to the public must be quite a, a, a neat thing as well. Well, we play it uh, on any ex excuse we can come up with. Right, right, okay. Because you're uh, um, fairly well known in the Tiger Club type circles, aren't you? Uh, well, I've, I'm a fairly new member. No. <laughs> <laughs> Compared to some. Yeah, yeah. But I've been, uh, yeah, the Tiger Club is, uh, is where uh, Jan and I met. Right. At a Tiger Club uh, uh, annual general meeting okay. some 20 years ago. Mm -hmm. yeah. The Tiger Club has a lot to answer for. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, it's, a, it's an amazing aircraft to, to see it still flying at air shows, and it's the only DH-16 New Zealand now, isn't it? It's the only one flying at the moment flying, yeah. since AJ left, but there's some in the um, building process at the moment. Right. Right, right. Um, but she just loves to fly, doesn't she? She loves, loves spreading her wings and getting out there. And she loves living with the tiger moth at home. Right, right. <laughs> Actually, um, you're involved with the uh, Air Women's Association as well, yeah. aren't you? Could you tell me a little bit about that? Uh, yes, it's um, a very active group of women who are from you know private pilots like myself up to. Um, airline captains and, uh, I don't know, glider pilots, parachutists, everyone you like to name, really. And um, <clears throat> it's a good support base for... It's easy to think that women uh, can do anything these days. They can, but there's still a lot of women out there, I realise, who are still quite shy to come forward and, right. and don't realise their potential and think, oh, you know, I couldn't do that. I was one of those years ago who thought you had to be very clever to do that sort of thing but so it is actually I mean I like to encourage anyone not just women but yeah, yeah. there is a terrific bunch of women actually involved Absolutely. and um, and 
about just as many men go along as well, so that, oh, right. that makes <laughs> yeah. it more fun. Too, yeah. so. <laughs> I think um, we were really lucky to witness something quite special yesterday where we saw a husband and wife team both flying the uh, P-40. Yeah. Wasn't that amazing? Yeah, yeah. I don't think that's probably ever happened before. It does in New Zealand quite a bit um, because they are quite an act at, at all the air shows, Liz and Frank. Yeah, but uh, isn't it normally Stu flying one? And oh, that's that's right, actually. Yeah, yeah. it's not normally, yeah, it's usually one true. or the other of those two, yeah, but yeah. not together. Yeah, that's true. Um, oh no, she's she's quite a role model as our Liz. Absolutely, absolutely, yeah. The Air Women's um, AGM this year is being done at Wanaka, so there's yeah. quite a lot being organised, fun things with it for that. Okay. What sort of activities do you get into when you when you meet up? <clears throat> um, well, there's a whole raft of competitions, but I think what I enjoy about some of them, as the one that was held here a few years ago, there were. Um, mountain flying and strip flying seminars yep. given by some of the local hotshots yep. and um, then if we <coughs> booked in early enough we could actually go flying with these guys as well right. and I'm hoping and I know that will happen um, down in Wanaka as well because there's a, obviously a huge um, huge array of um, flying experience down there amongst the mountains in fact our president Sue Telford she's She's a very experienced pilot down there and has been for many years around the mountains and what have you. Okay, okay. And she has a luminary coming up from the States who's a chief test pilot, training pilot, woman pilot for Boeing. Wow, okay, that'd be interesting. She has a very long name starting with Susanna, Captain Susanna, somebody or other who's going to be talking to us and inspiring us all. Brilliant, brilliant. Oh, well, thank you very much for taking the time to talk to us. Oh, it's a pleasure, Dave. Thank you. Thanks for being interested. <laughs> we <laughs> Thanks, love Jerry. people being interested in our little airplane. <laughs> yes, appreciate it. Cheers. I'm sitting in the Bristol freighter at uh, Marlborough Air Club with uh, Al Marshall. Hi Al. G'day. G'day Dave. How's it going? Good. It's good. Uh, you've just put me into the left hand seat of the Bristol Freighter and announced that I'm going to be doing the start. Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, <laughs> it's something uh, as the owner of the of the forum it's probably about time you got to see what we, um, what we do up here when we come to run these things. It's um, an easy one tonight just just one engine obviously the, the starboard engine we don't run for the meantime but yep. um, yeah so I guess if we just talk through what we've got here and um, like I said it's a, a tag team sort of start thing sure um, we'll uh, just see what we get okay <laughs> awesome cool so from left to right in the cockpit we've got the uh, captain's window open so we can talk to the, the ground crew outside they've got the fire extinguisher and uh, a wee bit of crowd control there so down to your left hand knee yep. you'll see there's some guarded switches there the starters down here those two yeah yep. and the one next to it is what the English call it accumulator control, okay. battery master. Yep. So if you flick that on. Down? Yes. Starts to bring, um, we hear some of the electric gyros that were replaced from the old um, pneumatic gyros that turn and slip and what have you. Okay. So the, with, this, with the freighter, the, the technique we use is pretty much similar to what the, um, the ground crew use. 
oh, sorry again the uh, the pilots would use. Yep. And we're going to um, crank the engine, assume that the uh, assure that the engine's clear, able to be spun by the starter motor, and then we're going to introduce fuel through electric priming pump. Once the engine is fueled, then we'll turn the ignition on. So what that does is it assumes that it lets us get the engine with enough gas to start, and then it will run on what's what's on the primer. Okay. And then once the engine's running nicely, then we'll turn this um, lever here on, and that's that uh, lets the carburetor do the rest. So. Okay. So your left-hand knee there is your is one of your electrical panels. There's lots of um, indicators there, starting from the top there, two fuel pressure gauges, left and right. Yep. It's a pressure carburetor, so um, it relies on about 30 psi at the carburetor to operate all the uh, the systems inside the the carb. Then. Um, yeah, so as, as you've seen there, starter switch for left and right engines, okay. those guarded ones. Yep. And then below that, you'll see a uh, switch that says um, Primer Master. Yep. yep. That's a priming pump which sits on the left hand, sorry, the right hand of the cell. Okay. Little 28 volt DC pump. It'll provide pressure to a solenoid in each of the engines. So the next switch to it is where that fuel will be directed whether we pump it into the left engine tonight or the right. Okay. So that's probably the most tricky bit is starting the correct engine and priming the correct engine. Right. So if you look at I think on this case to prime the left hand engine that priming selector switch will uh, go down. Is that correct? Let's see. It's hard to read. memory I remember it being easy to start the uh, starboard engine because you're pushing down with the starboard starter with your left with your thumb yep. and pulling up on that switch to start the to prime the starboard engine righto so what we've done I've already pulled the that propeller blade the propeller through four blades so as far as we're concerned it's ready to start okay um, so what we're going to do is we're going to crank the engine ensure that it's clear by counting four blades so you can look out the window you can count if you want yep. and um, so once you see four blades go past the window, with your thumb on that starter switch. This one here. The the one above. This one here. Yeah. Yep, yep. And with that primer master pump going, then you'll push the primer selector switch. Which is the one on the right? That one. Yeah. So, so with the priming pumps off at the moment, so if you press down on that priming selector. Yes. Down. You should be able to hear it click on the left hand side. Right, because that's just a little valve in that left-hand engine. Okay. So yeah, it's um, yeah, it's it's a bit of jiggery pokery. But what you want to do is press down on the starter. We'll have the priming pump running. So we'll count the blades. We'll do it as an exercise, a tag team sort of thing, like I say. But the important thing is to keep your thumb on the starter, yep. and then push that priming one down. down. Okay. So I count four, then down. Yeah. Yeah, so count four blades, and then we'll prime the, the next four blades, and then I'll reach up. The ignition's up here. I've got the magneto oh, switches yeah. unguarded. I'll look after the throttle. Over here, we've got the rev counter in the center of the um, flight deck. Rev counter, boost gauge, oil pressure, 
and uh, we've got fuel contents down here so we've got enough for what we're going to do okay so what we'll do now turn this pump down here which is the booster pump cool so they're working this selector here is the fuel and this is in the center of the en engine control pedestal yep so because we're running the engines from one tank we'll turn the starboard tank on there's a big isolator over here, massive big isolating thing on the right hand side of the flight deck, we'll turn yep. him on. Like I say, so we're using the starboard tank, yep. we'll turn a starboard boost pump on, and you'll see that left hand pressure gauge, in fact both pressure gauges will should register some fuel pressure. Yes. There we yep. go. Yep, there it goes. So that's the crossfeed valve open. Right, so we'll just play it by ear um, and, and see what we get. So just getting all clear from the guys outside. All clear. I'll come onto this now. So this is a um, park brake. So the park brake's on. Righto. So unguard, unguard the switch. Yep. So with your thumb, press down. Oh, in fact, sorry. The priming master pump has to come on. Okay. So that's the switch on the left of those two priming pairs. That's right. Next one down. And we'll hear that. We'll hear that pump come on. Okay. Flip it down. Yep. Ah, uh, yep. Cool. Okay, so just confirm we're all clear. All clear. And if you keep keep um, keep your thumb on the starter, and once we've got the four blades, push that priming selector switch down yep. for another four blades. Tell me when you see the four blades. I'll turn the ignition on, and we'll get it kicked up. Yeah, so thumb down. Good. So now we're just winding up the big starting clutch. One, two, three, four. One, two. Yeah, you've got to keep your thumb on that starter switch. Oh, right, okay. One, two, three, four. One, two, three, four. Ignition's coming on. Okay, suction in the manifold. Oil pressure is about 110 psi. Awesome. And it sounds beautiful. It does, eh? And we're getting a small crowd as well with the cameras. That's good. Smoother. 
big audience outside as we always get. Yep. So from here on, on a normal day you probably idle it for three or four minutes um, before you're ready to um, take it out, taxi it out for a uh, for a run up. Okay. So maybe if you take the microphone outside the window again, just um, open the window and just have a listen outside. have a great deal of fuel so we won't bother running it up because the aeroplane isn't all that secured in the tail. Yep. I've got the um, I've got the park brake on so it's not going anywhere. Yep. We've got a point now it's 100 degrees cylinder head temperature so we're going to shut it down. We've got throttle, propeller, mixture control or fuel on off and up here is of course the ignition so at the moment the ignition's both on. What we need to do now is a safety check to make sure that when we turn the fuel off the ignition's safe so what I want you to do just reach up in turn, go off, off, on, on. So, so what we're going to do is we're going to turn one meter off, yep. turn the other one off, it'll go quiet, and then you can just flick them both back on again. Okay. And we're looking for dead silence out the window. Yep. Lovely. So now we know that when we turn the fuel off, there's no sparks that's going to upset anyone on the ground. Right. So you can reach down for the right, the, the uh, fuel condition lever there, pullets are closed, and then pull the throttle back to, back to closed. Which is that one. Lovely. Awesome Al, that's freaking awesome. <laughs> <laughs> Big hiss from the pneumatic brakes when I turn the brakes off. Smelly old Bristol air, it floods out of that valve. Just the last one there is, this is called a gang bar. If you're in a hurry to turn everything off, it, um, it does all the switches at once. So that's the ignition off. The fuel's off by doing that and that and the big master one here. And then we'll just reach down and turn the booster pump off. Awesome. I can't believe what I've just done. I know. That's fantastic, cool, eh? mate. Fantastic. Yeah. And this is all down to you for and Marty for getting this and running yeah, and after. Yeah, and a lot of other people. Yep. The yep, cool yep. thing is, you know, you can say to yourself or anyone that you're the only person in the world today to start a Bristol freighter. Yeah. True. True. Brilliant. Thank you, man. Yeah. So I think what we should do sometimes is get together and just talk through uh, a recording of exactly what we did to get this thing going. Yes. And, um, and we could talk for hours about that, but um, yeah, you know this aeroplane, it's uh, it would love to go flying. It would, you can feel it, eh? It yeah. wants to go. I'm not sure which, we've got two um, vacuum systems, and I didn't pay attention to which vacuum pump was selected, but perhaps even if you step on the rudder pedals, on the tops of the pedals at the, where the brakes are, um, she might have even brought the pneumatic system to life, so you normally hear a hissing. Push your toes right down. No, it would be the other the other vacuum pump on the other engine. Oh, yeah. yeah, but just little things, you know, this this um, pneumatic brake supply here, this this emergency system here, 300 psi. It's been holding that 300 psi of of, gear, of air yeah. uh, for the last couple of years, perhaps. Okay. Oh, that's, I mean, that's a typically 
typically Bristol or British um, system of steering with brakes and, and operation of flaps and stuff. Yes. Yeah, so we'll, we'll get together sometime and talk more about it. Yeah, that can be a future episode of the Wings of New Zealand. Show. Definitely. Thank yeah. you, Al. I really appreciate it. You're welcome. Awesome. What an experience. Cheers. Cheers. Thank you. That was the Wings Over New Zealand show with Dave Homewood.